Please open your copy of God's Word to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Follow along as I once again read the first 19 verses of chapter 3. Genesis 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it, and you shall not touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Then they heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God in the midst of the trees of the garden. Yahweh God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave to me from the tree, and I ate. Then Yahweh God said to the woman, that it, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And Yahweh God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than any of the cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And the, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and conception. In pain you will bear children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
Let's once again ask for God's help as we come to his word. Father, help me to speak that which is true and that which is profitable for each one of us here in this room. You know what we need. Help me to feed your people, feed all of our souls. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are words we dread to hear. War. School shootings. You're fired. The company's bankrupt. Fraud. Infidelity. Treason. Cancer, dementia, to name just a few. Words that make us shudder. Words that upset us. But what about these words? Sin. The wrath of God. Are those words that make you shudder? Are those words that make you have a sense of dread? Or are they just religious words? We spent a good bit of time looking at Genesis chapters 1 through 3. A good part of that was spent showing just how glorious the creation was as God made it. And how wonderful and beautiful it was in every, in every way. It was truly very good. But then there's this intruder who appears on the scene, seemingly out of nowhere. And he starts speaking to the woman, and he is the agent of the temptation which comes. This one, the serpent, the serpent of old, the devil. And he engages in an occasion of temptation in which he has a conversation with her, and he and he is enabled to deceive her. We have the success of the temptation in chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, and the rebellion, the deception of the woman, and the rebellion of the man. And then we began looking at the consequences of their sin. We looked at the merciful examination. God mercifully examines Adam and Eve. Then we, we noted God's right, God righteously sentences the serpent, the woman, and the man in verses 14 through 19. He doesn't question the serpent. He just speaks judgment against him. You are cursed. You are defeated. You will be destroyed. You'll be humbled and you will ultimately be, you are doomed to defeat and destined to destruction. He sentences the woman, you will know pain, you will know turmoil. Pain in being the means, the agent through which image bearers would come into the world. But then also there will be turmoil. Turmoil in your home. 
And we saw the mercy of God, that she would still be able to be part of God's purpose and plan for filling the earth with image bearers. She would still have the potential and have a husband uh, to uh, rule, to be in her home and be over her. And, and when functioning properly, as the word of God says, it would be a blessing. And the man is convicted of his, or is, is judged for his sin. It's the one place where the sin is actually identified. He listened to his wife. He ate the forbidden fruit. And so God curses the ground and means the rest of his life is going to be filled with thorns and thistles and pain, and then he will eventually die. But he too will maintain his role as a farmer. And God says three times, you will eat, you will eat, you will eat. And so the mercy of God, even in the midst of the judgment, comes through. We started looking at some applications, and pretty much tonight I just want to take some time to unpack some applications that, we, that come out of this uh, tragic and sad event. My first point this evening is this. Sin affects everything. Sin affects everything. Every human being is affected by Adam's sin. Every human being continues to be affected by the sin that continues to manifest itself. Now, if you would turn with me to a very familiar passage in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, because I want to show you that every human is affected. And we saw this, and so I'm not going to, to do a lot of detailed exegesis. I'm just going to highlight the things that are here. When Adam sinned, he sinned as the first human being and as the, the first the head of the whole human race, biologically, every one of us could trace back our existence to Adam. Well, actually to Noah, but then eventually back to Adam. This is, this is a fact. He is that. But he was more than that. He was God's chosen representative for the entire human race. And according to Paul in Romans chapter 5, we are guilty because we sinned in Adam. We read in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. I'm going to jump around and just highlight the phrases here. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Past tense. And then verse 16. The judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. Verse 17. For if by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one. I just want you to see that phrase. Death reigned through the one. Verse 18, 
So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were constituted sinners. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death. Adam's sin resulted in the death, a death entering into the world. And death spread to all men because all sinned. Now notice how Paul says this. Paul tells us that death reigned through the one. Death was like a king reigning over mankind. And we know that because all men die. But notice with me as well that death spread to all men tells us something else. That all men sinned because the wages of sin is death. Right? And so there in, in verse 12, death spread to all men because all sinned. Past tense. We all sinned in Adam, with Adam. Adam sinned as our representative. Therefore, we sinned. We are guilty of this representative sin. And how do I know that? Because we're all dying. Sin reigned through death. And because we're all sinners, we read, as, as we heard from Romans 5, I'm just highlighting this before, as I, to make a point here, is that judgment arose from the one transgression resulting in condemnation. So we all die because we're all sinners, and we're, because we're all sinners, we're all condemned. We're all guilty. Through one man's disobedience, the many were constituted, the many were made, the many were appointed sinners. Now, I have a quote here I'm not going to read. <laughs> it's a wonderful quote by John Murray on, from his little booklet on, uh, what's the word? Imputation of Adam's Sin. Thank you very much. Imputation of Adam's Sin. And if you want to dig deeper, go read that book, booklet. It's a short booklet. Really, really powerful. Very well reasoned. But the fact of the matter is, the entire human race is guilty because our representative sinned. He rebelled against God. To put it another way, Humanity's best chance on its own to keep God's law perfectly failed when our perfect father, Adam, in a perfect world with a perfect spouse and a sinless relationship with God chose to disobey God and eat from the forbidden tree. Now we've we heard even this morning, that's not fair. Well, as I say to my students whenever we talk about this, I said, if I write a, if I write a test for this class, 
And I tell you, any person in this class can take the test on behalf of the whole class. Who would you choose? And if they're smart, they say, you. Because I wrote the test. And I know all the answers. I'm the best one. Now, if I fail the test, it's pretty bad because I wrote it which is altogether likely. But if I failed the test, the fact of the matter is, they all fail. And that's what happened. Adam had the perfect opportunity for any human, the best opportunity for any human to actually keep the law of God perfectly. And he failed. He sinned against God as our representative. And as we've seen, if that's not true, then Christ can't die for you. Because then his righteousness can't be for you. But that's a fact. Now, I'm not going to try to prove that any further. Just to say, Adam was the head of the whole human race and was our God-appointed representative. So when he sinned, we sinned. When he was condemned to die... We were condemned. He was guilty. We are guilty. Therefore, each and every human being is guilty before God because each of us sinned in Adam. Every human is affected by our representative, Adam. But it doesn't stop there. <laughs> because... We actually add our own sins to that. We come forth from the womb speaking lies. We come forth from the womb being selfish. We come forth from the womb being proud. We come forth from the womb wanting our own way. We are like those sheep. Every one of us that has gone astray to go our own way. Every human being has to their representative sin, our actual sin. As the scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No exceptions. And we do that because we have inherited depravity. I like that term that, that Murray used, inherited depravity. He said this, Hereditary depravity, that is, the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam down through the generations. Inher hereditary depravity emanates from solidarity. That is, it comes out of the fact that we are one with Adam. It is a process subsequent to solidarity. It didn't cause us to be sinners because, well, just to say this, the sin in Adam came first, and because we are guilty in Adam, we inherited his sinful nature. And in Paul's thought, as Murray goes on to say, not only is death inflicted upon all by the one trespass of Adam, not only is condemnation pronounced upon all by this one trespass, but by the same trespass, in verse 19 of, Psalm, of Romans 5, which is called disobedience, 
this same trespass, because of this same trespass, we are all constituted sinners. Three times guilty. Representative sin, actual sin, sin nature. And we do the actual sin because we are sinful. Now, I put them in that order because that leads me right to my next point. All right, so here's my first point. Sin affects everything. First, every human is affected. Representative sin and guilt, actual sin and guilt, inherited depravity. Second point, the entirety of our human nature is affected. Now, we heard this total depravity. It was, you would have thought that we coordinated this. We didn't. From what we read in Genesis chapter 3, and if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, it's very obvious that the first thing that is affected by death in every human being, and from what we read in Romans chapter 5, is the body. The body is affected because we're sinner, sin, because of sin. And how is it affected? We die. It's clear that the body is affected by sin. We have the seeds of death. And we're not going to get very far into Genesis as we move on. We're going to come to chapter 5, and there's going to be one phrase that's going to be thundered over and over again. And he died. 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 Do you get the point? And you're saying, would you stop saying that? Well, that's what you kind of get when you get chapter 5 and you read that over and over again, because he wants us to be smacked with that reality. Death comes because of sin. To everyone. And everything that leads up to death. That causes death. Romans 5 made that plain. We're because of sin. Every injury. Every illness. Every kind of suffering. Have you ever wondered why Every treatment has side effects. You know, they say, run this way so you won't hurt your knees. Or don't run this way because you'll hurt your knees. Use a bike because it'll save your knees. Oh, but then your hips will hurt. Oh, well, then try this other machine because then that'll, and then your back hurts. Why is it that every treatment has side effects because we cannot stop death. Now, we might be able to slow the process of dying down, but we can't stop it. Did you notice that the, that the rate of mortality is 100%? Right now, it may come at a certain rate, but I mean, every, we all die. The world wants desperately to do two things. They want to create life, which they will never do. AI will never be alive. Never. It can't be. God gives life. In him is life. And then they want to get rid of death. And they can't stop it. They can't. They don't even know why we die well, yeah, okay, well, this thing happens and that thing. Yeah, but why did that cell turn this way? Why does 
that cause this to happen so that this part of the body stops functioning and I die? Why do we die? Because of sin. Because it's a consequence, the judgment from God against sin in the world. The wages of sin is death. That is an immutable principle. Man's body is affected. But man's mind is affected by sin as well. Now, we often think of the lusts, and we'll come to that in a minute, and the affections, but, but man's mind is affected by sin. And when man's mind is affected by sin, that means it latches on to error rather than truth. Did you notice, remember what we, what, we, what we saw when Adam named all those animals? What a brilliant mind he had. To be able to look at these animals and give them the names that they needed and, and to be able to do that for all the animals that God brought his way and then to see this woman and note immediately there's something different about her. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And, and his mind was clear and pure. But what's our, what are our minds like now? Ephesians 4, 17 to 18. And if you can turn really fast, you'll be able to keep up with me tonight. I'll stop at certain points, but for the most part, I'm just going to make through because I've got a lot of text tonight. Ephesians 4, 17 to 18. So this I say, Paul writes to the Ephesians, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Do you see? The mind affected by sin wants to suppress truth and embrace error. That's what sin does to the mind. That's why it's so dangerous to have this thing called Google that makes us think we're omniscient. Four billion sites. Oh, man, that's a good one. No, I've got to narrow this down. Three billion. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I really don't know all these things, but we, we look for something. Oh, I like that. I like what he said. I like what that website said. So I'm going to believe that one. Why that one? You see, as Romans, we saw in Romans chapter 1, man exchanges the truth of God for a lie and worships and serves the creature rather than the creator. We are prone because of sin in us, whether reigning sin for those who are dead in their trespasses and sins or remaining sin, we are prone to embrace and believe error. And we're born with this propensity and born believing the lies. And so we've got to stop believing those lies. And so we need to be transformed by the what? The renewing of our mind. We need to work at getting our minds, as we heard from Pastor Jesse, getting our minds to think the way God tells us to think. Think according to truth. But then the affections, the emotions are also all affected with the things we desire and long for, as well as the things we find delight in, where are affected by sin. We desire the things we ought to hate, and we hate the things we ought to desire. Ephesians 4, verse 19, the very next verse. 
And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Or John 3 in verse 19, men loved darkness rather than light. And this is just an expression of God's judgment, ongoing judgment upon the world. We saw that in Romans chapter 1. Go back and listen to those messages on Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. They were potent messages to set before us the darkness and the ugliness of sin. Remember what, what it says, though, in verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. What are we seeing when we look out at the world around us? We're not seeing that we need more education. We're seeing that we need more gospel. We need the sin is what is causing these things. Sin that got a hold of our affections and our desires and set them on things which God says you shouldn't set them on. The conscience. And here's where those who don't believe in total depravity go wrong. Is oftentimes say, well, the conscience, that's kind of set aside over here. It may be a little bent, but it's not actually sinfully affected. No, the conscience too is affected. The conscience too is affected. Romans 2 tells us every man has a conscience. Just steal from a thief and see what they say. Hey, that's mine! Yeah, they'd suddenly know it's wrong. Defraud a liar. Hey, you didn't tell me the truth about that. You wrote this contract and I got gypped. I got gypped. Yeah, they know it's wrong. Right? Because we all have a conscience. And you can't get rid of that conscience, even if it's warped, you might sear it, and that'd be a dangerous thing. But in Titus, we read Titus 1 and verse 15, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. And we need the blood of Christ to cleanse us from an evil conscience, the writer of Hebrews says. Otherwise, we can end up like the people in Isaiah's day, who call evil good and good evil, and substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, and substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And that's in that what our world is doing is they promote their ungodliness. They call evil good, and they call good evil. The problem with the world is religion. All your rules. You're oppressing people. You're oppressing people. You're causing all these wars throughout the world. You're being intolerant. The consciences of human beings, because of sin, are warped. And the will is corrupted. So therefore, if our affections are set on something, our mind believes some lie, and our conscience tells us it's okay, then guess what? The will says, okay, I'll do that. And we choose that which is wrong. Again, Romans chapter 1, and that 
list of sins that people choose when they have a depraved mind. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God and is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. What is? It's not subject to it. That the will will not bend itself to God's law. This is what sin has done. It's affected our entire humanity. There's nothing in our humanity that is not affected by sin. That's what theologians describe as total depravity. And then you don't have to read very far in the book of Genesis. And if you, if you want to, just go ahead and read further this week in the book of Genesis and see how this thing starts to unfold. Or, or better yet, well, you could do that. That would be good. You get to chapter 6 and verse 5, and you read that the Lord saw that, Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent, every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. That sounds like Paul trying to heap up words just to say, it's all messed up. That's what humanity became. But go read the book of Judges. What a perfect place to be reading right now as we're talking about sin. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse the further you get into the book. And pretty soon they're not crying anymore. We could read Romans chapter 3, right? We saw that in chapter 3, verses 9 to 18, and we saw that there is none, there is none good. There's no, not one. There's none who seeks after God. Or Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, is another description of, of man because of sin and how much it's affected man. And, and Paul tells Titus, you know, you better remind these Christians about this. You would think the Christians wouldn't need to be reminded, but we still deal with sin too, don't we? And so they need to be reminded of this. Remind them to be subject to rulers. Why? Because the sin tendency wants to be insubordinate. Remind them to be obedient. Why? Because the sin nature wants to do my own thing. Remind them to be ready to do every good deed. Why? Because... I tend to lie on my bed and prepare and plan ways to do evil. To malign no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now I'm going to read this quote from... Uh, uh, A.W. Pink, from the Sovereignty of God, the Baker edition, pages 140 to 141, if you want to look it up. Because this is a graphic picture of what total depravity looks like. And you take all of the Bible's not descriptions, and I've only given you a, a smattering. But you put them all together, and this is what you get. When addressing the unsaved, Pink writes, preachers often draw an analogy between God's sending of the gospel to the sinner and a sick man in bed, with some healing medicine on the table by his side. All he needs to do is reach forth his hand and take it. But in order for this illustration to be in any wise true to the picture which the scripture gives us of the fallen and depraved sinner, the sick man in bed must be described as one who is blind. 
so that he cannot see the medicine. And his hand paralyzed so that he is unable to reach forth for the medicine. And his heart, not only devoid of all confidence in the medicine, but filled with hatred against the physician himself. And in fact, the man is actually dead. Oh, what superficial views of man's desperate plight are now entertained. Christ came here not to help those who were willing to help themselves, but to do for his people what they were incapable of doing for themselves. To open the blinded eyes, to bring out the prisoners from prison, and then, excuse me, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. This is what Christ came to do. Every man in all humanity, in every part of their humanity, is affected by sin. And then coming back to Genesis chapter 3, we see that this goes even further or farther. All the creation ordinances are affected by sin. Remember those creation ordinances? Marriage, procreation, labor, rest, all of those things that were there that God directed and or to order the life of the people, his people during that time, or his people for that time and forever, really. These creation ordinances that are how the world ought to function, things we ought to be doing. And one of the aspects of that is marriage. Marriage and every single relationship is marred by sin. In 1 Corinthians 11, the proper order of marriage with the man as the head and the wife as the helper is actually something which reflects the image of God. Man reflecting the image of God as the loving leader. The wife reflecting the image of God as the loving helper. Now, I'll just give you an application right now. That's, that's only possible in Christ. And that's what Ephesians 5 is all about. Because it's only in Christ that husbands will love their wives as they ought to love them as Christ loved the church. And it's only when Christ redeems a woman that she's going to be willing and really able to, to grasp the reality that she should submit to her husband in everything. And it's a good thing to do that. But according to what we saw for the way that God pronounced judgment and the consequences for the sins that took place, there's going, to be a, there's going to be tension in the home, right? There's going to be this tension that exists. Rivalry exists. Feminism exists. Machoism exists. Because of sin, men tend to abdicate their role of taking the lead in their homes. Because of sin, men tend to dominate their wives in an ungodly and unkind and unloving way. Because sin exists, women tend to be unwilling to submit and want to rule and manipulate or, or whine and complain. Or just to lie down like a doormat and do nothing. None of that is possible. All that is, is possible because of sin. Sin has twisted everything. The Christian doctrine of, fall, of human fallenness reminds us that our sinfulness will corrupt any order and create disorder. 
Where do you think government overreach comes from? Sin. Where do you think totalitarianism comes from? Sin. Where does anarchist rebellion come from? Sin. It's affected everything. Every order within creation is affected by sin. As C.S. Lewis put it, since the fall, no organization or way of life, whatever, has a natural tendency to do right. A natural tendency. Apart from the grace of God, it cannot. Bearing children and rearing image bearers is affected. Childbearing comes with a lot of pain. Because of the fall, there are things like miscarriages. There's infertility. There's deformity. There's illness. This little boy, Goss, we've been praying for. Born with a heart that, doesn't, that had to be replaced. Because of sin in this world, it even goes so far as to women actually not even loving the children that they give birth to and committing abortion. And pain doesn't end with childbirth, does it, parents? <laughs> because they continue to manifest. You know, every, everything, I, I've, I've used this illustration so many times. You know, my children learned logic. And, and, and immediately after they learn logic, they're sitting there at the table. Daddy, that was an illogical comment that you just made. I do not have to obey that. Well, they weren't that blatant, but that's kind of what they were saying. Well, an appeal authority trumps that anytime. <laughs> But this is what, you know, you learn new things and when you start using it, you learn new words, you start using it. Parents don't understand this word. <laughs> oh, well, maybe they might. They can look it up on Google too. <laughs> you know, they can find out what that SMS is or what that little, you know, stay, oh, oh, yeah, they can find your website. They can find it, yep. So the fact of the matter is, though, you know, children continue to show sin. They continue to manifest this sinful behavior and, and, it, and it makes it difficult. And we have sin in trying to shape them into accurate image bearers. So we can be overbearing. We can have too many rules. We can have too few rules. We can be too sentimental. You see, sin's affected everything. And sin has affected labor. Labor is marred. We're supposed to subdue the earth and tend and keep it. We're supposed to be stewards of the earth. We have a responsibility. But now because of sin, it's so complicated. Because now everything you try to do produces some cancerous result. We thought all those things we were using to make those plants grow faster was actually good for us. Oh no, GMO is going to kill you. All right, listen, don't throw your, don't throw your lot into any of these things that, you know, as, as the answer to saving the world. There's only one person who can save the world, and his name is Jesus. And he doesn't do it through diet, and he doesn't do it through medicine, and he doesn't do it through exercise plans. He did it through dying on the cross. But when we get the right picture, you see, as to what's the problem here, the problem is sin, and sin has affected the earth so that the earth doesn't sustain life the way it should. And so jobs, therefore, often leave us in a state of poverty. You know what? Adam and Eve didn't have to face poverty. So it really wasn't going to matter how many children they had. 
But since the fall, poverty is a reality. Since the fall, the human body can only take so much. Since the fall, there are diseases and conditions which affect our bodies that affect our ability to have children or to produce children that are going to actually be able to, to survive. I just wanted to make one brief comment. I made a comment about uh, some time ago about not being afraid of having large families. And we shouldn't be afraid of having large families, but we should also not idolize having large families. The fact is, because there's sin in the world, every action to subdue the earth has detrimental effects. We create machines to help us produce more, and they produce pollution. We find ways to use the earth more, and it creates erosion. Weed killers, fertilizers produce harmful food and detrimental, and are detrimental and deleterious. I like that word. I'll just throw that in there for deleterious. They're bad for us. And then we're hindered physically from doing all that we'd like to do by, by illness. Anybody had to take a day off because you were sick? Sin is what the res was the result of, this is the result of sin. Injury, theft, laziness, greed, slavery, revolution, earth worship, all of these are consequences of the fall. It's the world we live in, isn't it? Labor is marred. Bearing children is marred. Marriage is barred. And even rest is, bar is marred. Seven days, work weeks. Stores and internet open 24-7. Makes it real easy to just turn the Lord's Day into shopping day. Sports and entertainment. Why is it that so many sports and entertainment happen on Sunday? Do you think Satan is stupid? He says, wait a minute. I could do this on Saturday. But then they'd be able to watch and not offend God. Let's move it to Sunday. Well, there's other reasons that might offend you as well if you watch too much of it. But the fact of the matter is that so much of this happens on Sunday. Why? Because rest is being attacked. Tiredness affects our ability to worship and have his day. Workaholism affects it. Living for weekends is, is an effect of sin. Despising hard work is an effect of sin. All of creation is affected by sin. Do you get the picture? Everything. It was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation will one day be restored or set free. But fundamentally, and most tragically, man's relationship to his creator was affected. We talked about a lot of the external impact, impact on us, impact on those around us. But you know what? It separated God and man. He was created to be an accurate image bearer, now he becomes a warped and twisted caricature, a grotesque misrepresentation of God. We were created to delight in God. And now, like Adam, we dread being in the presence of God. We want to hide God. We want to suppress the truth about God. 
We were created to commune with God. But now our sins have put separation between us and God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. We're alienated from God. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. We're separate from Christ and excluded from God's people. And although we were, we were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, you see all of this, we, you know, the, the, the worst part of all this is we're separated from God. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary on Genesis quotes from Augustine and he, he has this really long paragraph of all the things that Augustine describes as the effects of sin in the world. And he said, that's only a third of what Augustine wrote. Thomas Goodwin has 12 volumes in his set. He has one whole volume on the, on the effects of sin. A whole volume. Brethren, why do I spend so much time doing this? I, two reasons. Well, one primary reason. I spent a lot of time telling just how glorious the creation was. And now I've tried to spend this time to show just how heinous sin is that we might see it for what it is. So you hear that word sin, or you have that opportunity to sin, you will see it for the ugly, horrific, tragic thing it really is. This is not pointed at Adam and say, oh, Adam. Look what you've done. No. This is look at me and see what I have done. This is horrible. We must never, never, never minimize the reality of the horror and the tragedy and the wickedness of sin. Don't downplay it no matter how small you think your sin might be. I just shaded the truth a little bit. I just took a little pencil. I just looked over at his paper just for a second for only one answer. It's sin. It's what has warped and destroyed humanity. It is what is leading us to the day of judgment. It displeases and brings anger to the face of God, if you will. He hates sin. Never minimize it. Parents, parents, never minimize this reality called total depravity when you're training your children. It explains why they do what they do. So you will hate it in them. You won't hate them. <laughs> You'll hate the sin that is in them. And then what you will want to do is use the tools God has given to deal with that sin, to unbundle it from the heart, to drive it far from them. And you won't be focused just on the making them happy or making them better students than you were or making them more prosperous than you were, it, those things might be good side products, but you'll be ultimately focused on the fact that I want to make them more holy than I am. And that means I have to recognize what sin is. It's not just, oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah, I, I know it. You know, when, when a grandchild 
does certain things. You all No. Right? There's a cuteness to it because they're small and they're just, you know, and but, but it's wrong. It's sin. It has to be seen as sin, dealt with as sin. And if you don't deal with it as sin, you'll miss the mark. And you might make them nice and you might make them prosperous and you might make them educated, but you won't show them their need of Christ. Not the way they need it. Don't minimize sin. You see, also by recognizing how potent sin is and how thorough sin is, it'll give you compassion. And not just for our children, but for the lost all around us. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're blind in unbelief. They're darkened in their understanding. They're dead. They're in bondage. They're crippled. Could you imagine going to Helping Hands and seeing somebody come in and, you know, and they're, and they're walking with their, you know, one of these ladies walking with their walker, and you go kick the walker out from it and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Or they fall down. Oh, no, he says, it's horrible. Well, what about a sinner who's crippled and caught in bondage with sin and, and dead in his trespasses and sins and, and you see him sin? Do you have a measure of compassion? We have a whole society that's caught up with LGBTQ+. And we should hate what sin has done. We need to have compassion in being able to bring to them the truth. And that doesn't mean you condone anything about what they're doing. You must never condone that. It's a very clear line that has to be drawn. You cannot do anything that would condone their sinful behavior. But you can still get alongside them, talking with the young people about this, you can still get alongside them and show them love, Christian compassion, eat lunch with them, talk to them, get to know them, find out what their likes are, their dislikes are. Why? So that you can build a relationship so that you can bring the gospel to them. Never minimize the effects of sin because otherwise you'll be totally dis dissatisfied with any job you ever have. <laughs> because every job you have is going to be affected by sin. And it's going to have thorns and thistles and, and, dis, and things that aren't going to prove to be helpful. And it's going to have difficulties that you're going to face. It's, it's in, and sometimes more horrible than other times. But you say, wait a minute, this is the fallen world I live in. This is what God has called me to live in so that I might be a light in the midst of the darkness. And you know, it's so easy to be a light in the midst of darkness in some ways. Just work hard. Just do what your boss tells you to do. And do it neatly, sweetly, and completely, as our friend Tom Welsh would say. See, never, never minimize the reality of sin. Even remaining sin, everybody around you, all the members, they have remaining sin. So do you. Don't minimize it, so you just say, well, I'll just I'll tolerate it. No, 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 no. See it for what it is and, and seek to mortify it. Cut off right hands, pluck out right eyes, all of that language that says, i got to kill this thing so it doesn't kill me. And when you see your brother in bondage, go to help your brother. Help your sister get, deal with that sin and be delivered from that. Come alongside them. 
Isn't that what you'd want them to do if they saw something in your life? I hope you would. Never, never minimize sin. It's horrible. It's tragic. It's wicked. It ought to make you tremble whenever you see it. Never dying souls are headed to a judgment day. Each one of us. And if our God meets us with our sin on that day, then you will know just how horrible and wicked it is. You don't want to hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. Because the fire will not go out, the worm will not die, the darkness will never be lit, the loneliness will never be met with any kind of companion. You will be in the presence of an angry God with no relief forever and ever. That's how bad sin is. It's so bad that he had to sacrifice his only begotten son in order to pay for the price of your sin. But he did. He did. That's the mercy of God. Not just that you'll be able to eat like Adam. Not just that you'll still be able to be parents or have relationships that can be warm and friendly. And it's that your sins can be forgiven because God in mercy sent his only son into this world to die for sin. Oh, my friend. Why? Why would you cling to something so ugly and so horrible? Because you're a sinner. And if you don't see it, it's because you're blind. And if you don't look to Christ, it's because you don't want to. Oh, my friend, cry for mercy. Plead with God to give you a sight of your sin and how ugly it is before God first and foremost. These things are just a, a small display of how wicked it really is. Ask him to show you your sins and go to Christ and find full and free forgiveness. Let's pray. Our Father, be merciful to us to help us to see things the way you see them. Deliver us from thinking the way the world is trying to keep us shaped and to direct our minds. Deliver us from the lies of this world. Deliver us from the passions of this world. Lord, help us not to love this world in all of its lusts. Oh, Lord, be merciful to those who sit in darkness in this room. Open their blinded eyes that they might see. Come in power and grace and set them free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.